everybody, welcome back to Ornate Stairwells. It's a movie podcast. I'm Neve, and I'm joined not as always by M. Hi, I'm here on the podcast. I'm Autumn now. <laughs> um, and in case you're new here, let me first say that uh, I don't normally intro this. Autumn does. Uh, they are taking a month off of podcasting. We we talked about this, but you know, uh, you're filling in for like July. We're gonna do three recordings, I think. Um, yes. One would describe the zeal with which I shoved Autumn out of the way to become the co-host <laughs> of this podcast as maybe a little concerning about my very dear friend Autumn. <laughs> you were just uh, enthusiastic about them taking care of themselves for a month. <laughs> That's really what it is, right? Yes. Yeah. Not that um, this is my favorite podcast and I'm happy to bully my way onto it. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, anyway... Uh, well, we'll do this at the end, too, but just to say at the top, go to exportodd.io and support the network, um, especially help out Autumn and Nora right now. Yeah. Uh, if you are a patron, you can consider increasing your pledge. There's like the $5 tier, you get exclusive stuff, all that. Um, yeah. And then uh, also, if you're new here, I'll explain the format a little bit like Autumn usually does uh, when they remember, which is that segment one, we talk about all the other stuff we watched. Uh, segment two, we talk about the main movie, which uh, this time is Sweet Home. Um, and then if you listen after the credits, you'll get the non homophobia zone where we're just hanging out and talking about random shit. Yeah. <clears throat> uh also, I feel like my, my voice is extra rough right now because I'm both recovering from being sick um, and also there's been a really poor air quality due to the forest fires here in Chicago. So, yeah. And I have asthma. But anyway, um, I figured that we would just alternate because I have two other movies and you have one. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the first one that I have is uh, Thief of Hearts. This is from 1984 by Douglas Day Stewart. Um, and I was watching it because it's like kind of an erotic thriller. Uh, but I was a little bit disappointed. Over, I'll, I'll get into like what the plot is. Uh, so there's a burglar uh, who we learn is named Scott, played by Stephen Bauer. Um, and he has uh, like he's basically kind of working for slash friends with uh, this other criminal named Buddy Calamara, played by uh, David Caruso. 
And uh, David Caruso's character, Buddy, uh, is a valet at like a high society restaurant. And so um, he'll sort of start uh, IDing people who might be good people to like hit. And then when they go to the restaurant to eat, that's when they'll like hit the house. Uh, Cause then he'll know that they're out of the house for a little bit. Um, so uh, Scott goes in uh, and robs the home of this uh, married couple named uh, the woman is Mickey. And then the, the guy is Ray. Who's like a, a kid's author, like writes children's books. Um, and their marriage is like kind of, uh, boring and loveless right now. Uh, and while, while Scott is in there, he like sees this photo or this, uh, painting of her and thinks she's really beautiful, uh, and steals her diaries. And then is like reading the diary and one learning stuff about her, like, you know, she does interior design work, stuff like that. Uh, but then also like she's talking about basically her ideal man. And so he decides to fashion himself into like her ideal boyfriend have this chance meeting with her, uh, that he's like staging, uh, through it being like, Oh, I know you, you're an interior designer. Like, you know, I've seen your work. I have a space that needs redesigning, which is just like his apartment. Um, and trying to like develop a relationship through there. Um, it does like culminate to they have sex. And I was like, oh, this is like getting interesting. Um, and then at that point, like the the movie just sort of it like suddenly halts on like any weird erotic stuff that's happening on, uh, in the movie. Um, and it just becomes about like him getting punished basically for this Um everything sort of breaking bad and her learning the lesson of instead of writing the things in her diary, she'd just be telling her husband her secret desires uh, and everything like resolves in this like very neat way, basically um, the like only a little bit of ambiguity is uh, buddy. David Caruso's character tries to, to uh, rob the home again. Um, and, uh, Scott goes and like tries to stop it. And then there's a part where buddy is going to shoot her and then Scott shoots him and flees or whatever. And then, you know, there's a little bit of her, like not telling the police that he ran out the window and letting him get away. Um, but that's like the most ambiguity around the relationship there. Uh, so I was kind of disappointed in it because i just wanted it to get weirder about its core premise. Um, and like when they have sex, it's like pretty vanilla sex. Like, it's not even like she has, like, weird kinks that she's into. So, um, I thought it was really well shot. Like, the acting is is pretty good. Um, and if you like sort of the 80s, 80s aesthetic with, like, intense 80s soundtrack, uh, it's also got you covered there. But um, overall, I was, I was kind of... I, this easily could have been like a, a four, four and a half for me. Um, and the, the ending sort of robbed it of some of its uh, intrigue. So this is this is one of two movies shot by cinematographer Andrew Laszlo in 1984. Do you know what the other one is off the top of your head? Probably not. Um, in 84. Yeah. Oh, no one. No one cares about cinematographers other than yeah. other cinematographers. Uh, he is a cinematographer on '80s classics, Streets oh, of Fire. Oh, yeah, this makes sense. It has it has big Streets of Fire like vibes in terms of the aesthetics. So that makes okay. sense. Um, 
I mean, Streets of Fire is like, I think, more of a musical than this one. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So. You mean any? Yeah. Any musical? Yeah. It has like more points there. And I think it's also just a little bit weirder as like a movie, but I can see the aesthetics there. Definitely. Mm. Um, I can also see this is the guy who made the Warriors, which for some reason is always the thing that I think of him for. Okay. Yeah. Um, Even though there's like other big things he's done. Mm -hmm. So. Um. I still think it's like worth checking out if people enjoy this stuff, but yeah, the the ending of it is kind of deflating for the the whole premise, uh, which I just I wanted it to get, even if it like still at the end reasserted the heterosexual family or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. I just wanted it to get weirder with it, um, and at a certain point, it kind of just became it like there was a part of me watching it being like, um. You've got mail is gonna kind of do this but better. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna like do it less like uh crime rom- you know, erotic thriller. It's like a, you know, nicer romance story, but like I feel like it does some similar things around like knowing who the person is and like fashioning yourself around that, but is just better about it and more interesting. Mm-hmm. So um and just a more entertaining film overall. So um, and in terms of stairs, uh, there is like the stairs that go up to the home and that's where the, the guy gets shot, but it's not like a super notable set of stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to do like a B. Okay. You know, they did their best. Yeah. Wait, what do you have? So I watched, uh, Todd Phillips's 2019 classic Joker. The uh, alternate universe origin story of DC Comics villain, the Joker. Famously uh, hated by Autumn. Uh, the Joker, like as a character or no, the movie? Specifically Joker? this movie. Has Autumn seen this movie? Yeah. Okay. For some reason I thought Autumn hadn't seen Joker. Every time it comes up, they're like irate about it, which is why I thought it was funny that you, for the first time that you're like subbing for them. I was... <laughs> Was it Sunday? No, it hadn't been Sunday night. It was, I think it was Monday night. I was just so tired. And I was like, I'm going to put on a movie. I'm going to go to HBO Max. I'm going to put on like a documentary and I'll watch a documentary. And I got to HBO Max and I was trying to parse their 8,000 documentary series to try to find a movie. And I went, fuck it. I'm going to watch Joker. And I sat down and I just watched Joker. Um, so that's how that happened. Um, so if you don't know, this is this is a, this is set in... The eight in 1981, it looks like the seventies, but it's early eighties. That that's, that's just true of life. Um, but, um, uh, Arthur Fleck is like this rundown guy who lives with his mom. Who's ailing. She has anime disease. Um, and he's got mental problems where when he's under stress, he starts laughing uncontrollably and no one knows how to handle him. And he's getting assistance from like city social work programs to get him pills to help control uh, his problem. And then people in the crime ridden streets of Gotham City like beat him up. And uh, one of his coworkers gives him a gun. So but then he drops because he's like a he's like a hospital clown. He goes and he does like clown stuff for like hospitals or like people. He's like waves a sign at the beginning of the movie, stuff like that, um, where you might hire a clown. Um, and he drops the gun at the hospital. And so he gets fired and doesn't know what to do. Um, and meanwhile, he's like 
he he gets this infatuation towards his neighbor where they have the, this she's like a single mother um played by uh Zazie Beats and she um it's really it is very obvious that he is making up this entire thing but the movie plays as like reveal in the third act i've just seen a movie before we'll get to it i don't want to like t- talk too much about that stuff but like he thinks that there he's in this relationship with this woman um and he's like i'm a stand up comedian and he he does stand up comedy but it's truly genuinely awkward and unfunny and it gets filmed and put on the like johnny carson show that robert de niro's character runs um in gotham city um, and so he gets invited on the show right about the time he starts like shooting people. Um, and at the same time he shoots like the, so he shoots these three, like Wayne enterprise, like wall street assholes who are not from 1981, but from like post wall street, the film kind of guys, like yeah. real motherfuckers. Um, but he shoots them down in cold blood. No one knows who did it. There's like, oh, some joke, some clown, like murderous clown is on the loose in, in Gotham city. And, um, and so people create this like social movement around like we hate the rich. We're not going to take it anymore. It's good to do violence against the people who've like sucked us all dry uh, as he's like oblivious to the whole thing. But he gets invited because um, because this social movement and because and everyone's like all like the downtrodden as like a human interest story. He's like a guy who went viral in 1981 for this, this video that was taken um, onto the show. And he comes dressed in like the full Joker makeup or whatever. Um, and admits that he's the one who did the killings and he, he kills Robert De Niro and uh, co- basically causes a riot to happen in Gotham City. Uh, and on the night of the riot, uh, young Bruce Wayne and his parents are walking out of the movie theater. And another guy in a clown mask walks down the alleyway and shoots uh, Thomas Wayne to death. Um I didn't even talk about the weird subplot where his mom, Arthur's mom claims that he's Thomas Wayne's illegitimate son. It turns out not only is that not true, but his mom was like a narcissist who abused him and adopted him um, and lied about that to try to get Thomas Wayne's attention. Cause she was obsessed with him when she worked as like his maid and he got, she got fired when he was like, a kid. <laughs> he doesn't remember any of that. Um, All right. Anyway, 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 uh, th- that's the movie like in, in broad strokes. Um, here's the thing. Um, obviously like Robert De Niro's here, uh, the plot uh, clearly like taxi driver meets king of comedy. Um, you know, it's set in 81. Uh, they say, they said, oh, we're pulling from raging bull. Also, it's not just those two movies. I don't really see it, but whatever, um, clearly wants to be like one of those gritty Scorsese classics. I fucking love king of comedy. One of my favorite movies. Um, it's also a fucking DC villain AU about the Joker as in a gritty. Here's the thing. Joaquin Phoenix just wanted to do this. He, he wanted to do a, a an actor vehicle comic book movie. And he's like, it, I, I'd be, I'd love to do the Joker, but they're not going to give me the Joker. So he's shopping around just the idea of doing it with anyone who he didn't care who picked it. He just wanted to do this. And about the same time that they were like, wanted to do something with the Joker and the two things met and just uh, happened. Um, and it, because of that, it's really clear. Joaquin Phoenix came to like act. He, he really wanted to sell this story of this really awkward man who's in a system that just like money runs out. People fall through the cracks. There's no actual support system in society for anyone who's not like productive and normal. Um, and I think that stuff is like genuinely really well done. It's like hard to watch. Like it, when he when he has his laughing fits and when he stands up and tries to do his comedy it, it is cringe and like the most like earnest way where it's like i just don't want to look at this like it's it's truly embarrassing and hurts my heart to look at this man um 
but it's also in the context of a fucking Joker origin story um, directed by Todd Phillips, the hangover guy pretending he's doing a Scorsese and he can't, he's not, he's not, he's not Scorsese. He's not yeah. fucking Marty Scorsese. Um, and so the movie is, is really at odds in that on some level, you know how, like when, when winter soldier came out, everyone's like, this is just like a seventies crime movie. And anyone who'd actually seen a seventies movie is like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> um, this movie's for those people. And on some level, I think it succeeds in like marrying what cinema and acting used to be with a fucking DC superhero movie in a way that like it mostly kind of works. Um, I didn't hate it. <laughs> like, I don't think it's like a good movie, but I, I didn't, I thought I was going to like laugh about it, but uh, it, like, just like, you know, resoundly mock the whole thing as an enterprise. Cause I, on some level it is kind of creatively bankrupt, but then I'm like, I'm really not the audience. Like the audience of people who've seen the King of comedy is not the people they expect to go see Joker, which makes yeah. sense. This movie made a ton of money. Um, this movie made a billion dollars. It's an R rated 81 Joker period film. Like what the hell? Um, and on that level, I think it's like mostly kind of successful, I guess. Like I, I liked it a lot more than the Batman, um, even though I think it's like ultimately maybe like, I don't know. The Batman's really bad. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to talk out of turn about saying uh, this thing is worse or whatever, um, but it's just weird. I, um, if it was, if it was better directed, it probably wouldn't be as successful, but I'd like it more. Um, yeah. But Joaquin Phoenix really, really just goes for it. Uh, no one else in that movie gives a shit on that level. Like Robert De Niro is basically there for like five minutes to shake hands and get shot. Um, uh, his mom's played by Francis Conroy, um, who I think of as uh, the lady from six feet under. Um, I assume she's done other things, but that's what I always think of. And yeah. um, she's great in it. But um, it is not what I would call like a fucking bevy of everyone doing their best acting. But uh, that's like, all you need is one guy who's really believes in doing the thing. Um, it has like the most terrible needle drops I've ever heard, though. They're just like egregiously obnoxious and on the yeah. nose. I feel like uh, a lot of modern films are really bad about this. Yes. The the worst one to me is still, uh, I mean, the Watchmen in general, but there's a part where they're like walking towards a watchtower or something, and then it plays oh, yes. all along the watchtower. And I was just like, I, I can't deal with this movie anymore. <laughs> Um, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. There's just, it's just too much. Um, which, what are you going to do? I guess. Yeah. But, um, like they pay, they play fucking rock and roll part two on the stair scene, the, the infamous stair scene. Uh, and I just don't think it, it just feels like jokey and like, it just doesn't believe that the, the, it just feels like it, it doesn't trust that you can tell a movie with images and acting and wants to like, underline every emotional beat in like a way that cheapens the whole thing. Um, I, like, I don't, I don't think this movie's like fantastic or anything, but it was more interesting than I thought it was. I'm really excited for the sequel because it's a musical with Lady Gaga's Harley Quinn. It's going to be fucking terrible, but in a much more interesting way to me as someone who likes musicals. Um, and I was like, I have to get to it eventually. And this, this was the, I wasn't going to watch it except I knew I was going to try to watch a movie for this because we, it was very short notice. I was going to be on this week. Um, and that, that was it. It was, it was fine. Joaquin Phoenix, uh, great actor. No reason he should be elevating the material of Joker, but, uh, he did. Yeah. Um, I, sometimes I wonder where the, the like needle drop trend came from. 
I mean, it's kind of just like all over movies, right? Yeah. But, I mean, I some of it might be like, especially the Quentin Tarantino is not the only one, but Quentin Tarantino does it a lot. But like sort of yes. that uh, era and like uh, mode, I guess, of filmmaking, um, yeah. you get a lot of it. And so I think some of it might be like homage to that. Also, well, yeah, I feel I like mean, I I have like sat out a lot of prestige TV. Um, and I feel like it's all over. Like sometimes oh, yeah. Emily will yeah, be yeah. watching one of the, like the handmaid's tale or whatever. And there was so mm-hmm. many needle drops where I was like, this is like difficult for me as a person who watches like old movies to parse sometimes. Cause there's yeah. just stuff happen. There's just like popular music happening constantly. Um, in ways that are often like supposed to be like cheeky and, Oh, it's a happy song, but like bad things are happening. And I'm like, yeah, I, I saw like clockwork orange. Like, <laughs> so, um, yeah, like Tarantino popularizes. I know that like the gardens, of the galaxy soundtrack genuinely mm. just like fucking moved units. Right. Like that, yeah. that's the thing that was huge. I also think in like the streaming era, getting a, getting a pre-made soundtrack where like the, the playlist is already made because it's mo- it's mo- music that already existed. You can just yeah. drop it into Spotify. People can listen to the soundtrack of the movie right away. Um, it's probably like really appealing on some level in terms yeah. of just like the, the Q score of listening to music uh, in the modern era. Um, and I definitely the thing there, the, the there thing was about, like a, a movie that was I never watched it. And it's it was like a far smaller scale movie, but like a couple artists who I listened to. Um mm-hmm had like tracks on a on the movie soundtrack and before it came out i was like getting periodic like uh being added to the soundtrack this song by this artist or whatever so it's probably also a promo tool in that way of like people who listen to the music will get the spotify notification saying this song is showing up in the soundtrack or whatever Sure. I don't know yeah. if, if like classic rock is really moving the needle on yeah. that in the same way for something like Joker, but I do think of like when I when I was young, when I when I watched Tarantino movies, it was my gateway to a lot of music that I had just not heard before. And I was like, oh, these, these are all very cool. I'm gonna go listen to them. Um and I don't I don't think I'd feel that about something like Joker's soundtrack, but I also am much older and I don't know if that's true or not, or if it's just me projecting, right? Yeah. Um, like when I go, when I listen to, when I watch Jackie Brown now, I still think the soundtrack to Jackie Brown is fucking cool. Cause yeah. it is. <laughs> um, but also like younger audiences might watch, uh, the Batman and that is like their introduction to Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> As someone with satellite radio, that feels impossible to me because they fucking play Nirvana on, on every station all the goddamn time. But yes, yeah, but I don't think young people listen to radio. No, they're not. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're correct. Yeah. Um, I've seen what's popular on TikTok. <laughs> I don't I don't use TikTok. I have no idea what's popular on TikTok. Um, yeah. Well, do you have a rating for the stairs? So, uh, as we... Uh, I guess we didn't actually open with that. That'll be at the end. <laughs> Popping the bubble of artifice on this podcast. Um, this movie inarguably has one of the most iconic stare scenes in modern cinema. It's on the fucking poster. Everyone knows it. It's iconic. It was like memed briefly. Yeah. Um, but it's just some stairs and it plays that fucking song and it's annoying. And so while it's like, it's, it's hard. Cause like culturally it is significant. 
I don't think it's very good. Yeah. Um, which like, I guess like equals out to like a B, but like the kind of B that you give like a straight A student that's going to like really fuck up their month. Yeah. <laughs> B derogatory. Yeah. I mean, it's also like that being such an iconic stare scene for like the last 10 years uh, is evidence of how much movies don't have stairs in them anymore. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Do you have anything else to say about the Joker? No, no, no. I'm excited for the sequel. I hope there's yeah. a trailer soon. Um, Before I move on to the next one, I remembered a thing I wanted to mention about Thief of Hearts, which is at the beginning of this movie, uh, David Caruso delivers the line as if it like makes perfect sense. Uh, she gives head like a, an iguana. What? And, and he says it like, he says it in a tone where I understand that it's supposed to be good. The head like an iguana is supposed to be a good thing, but I still, it's, it's so like specific and evocative in a way where I want it to mean something about the quality of the head and like what it's like. And I, I don't understand it. <laughs> I've been, yeah. I've been literally thinking about this for days now. So if anybody, if anyone has beyond just, it means that it's good. And it's like a colorful way of saying that. If anyone has like insight into what gives head like an iguana means, I would like to know. I keep thinking about this. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, like, is it My, like is it like slow but good? <laughs> is David Crusoe good in that movie at all? Um, he, I think that the the two leads, um, Barbara Williams is the the woman. Um, and then, uh, Stephen Bauer has like a sex appeal in here that I did not know he had having mostly seen his like older stuff where it's mm. just gone. And I think he's also just like a, a weird Republican dude now or something, sure. um, which makes sense, but there's, there's like good chemistry there. Uh, and David okay. Caruso is not at like quite their level, but I think he's doing a good job. Uh, also, when he's like on the street, he's just like full like leather jacket punk. Uh, but when he is like at home and his home is the top floor of a factory where they like hide all the art that they stole, um, mm -hmm. he's just like constantly going around in this like very gay midriff outfit that mm -hmm. is incredible. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah. All right. Um, but the other, the other movie that I watched is Liquid Sky. Um, have you heard of this movie before? I'm going to look it up and I will let you know. Uh, why don't you tell me about it? Uh, so this is from 1982. Uh, it's an independent film, um, by a Russian filmmaker named Slava Zucker, uh, Slava Zuckerman. And, uh, it stars uh, Anne Carlyle, who was like a, a model at the time, I think, uh, who plays two characters in it. Uh, she plays the, the main character, Margaret, um, as well as uh, her like modeling rival, who is a, a man named Jimmy. Um, and I still don't fully understand if Jimmy is supposed to be a trans man or if she is just playing a cis man in this movie as well um okay but i think she also co-wrote it i was like reading something that like 
when they were co-writing uh, co-writing it, like uh, Slava, um, uh, Anne Carlyle, and uh, Slava's wife were just like all living together for like months writing this. Um, but basically, the the premise of this. Uh, so it's set in like at then contemporary, so early eighties, uh, like basically the no wave scene in New York, um, which people are unfamiliar with. Uh, this is like CBGB's, uh, shows happening. It's sort of a, a response to new wave, um, and to varying degrees of rejection of new wave. Um, and you get like, like talking heads is weird because they, they like weirdly sit in both new wave and no wave. Uh, but if you like get really into no wave, uh, this is where you get like teenage Jesus and the jerks, um, James chance and the contortionists, uh, Sonic youth is one of the big ones that like sort of broke out of that initial, like, uh, no wave movement, uh, and continued on. Uh, but it's like a lot of, uh, it's like a post-punk movement that is like focused on making punk more abrasive and weirder, basically is what I would say. Um, and there is a certain amount of like incorporation of electronic elements that's also happening in new wave. Uh, but in sort of a, again, like leaning more towards the abrasive sounds of that. Uh, so it's set during like that time period and, uh, all the main characters, uh, aside from like a, a couple are members of that sort of scene. Uh, so Margaret, uh, has a, her girlfriend is Adrian, uh, who deals drugs and is like kind of pimping Margaret out. Um, and then, uh, Jimmy is this like maybe trans man model who's, uh, hanging around and everyone just loves and is really cool. And I mean, uh, like, Anne Carlisle is killing it as Jimmy in this, in this movie. Um, he's just like dripping this kind of trans mask sex appeal, which is incredible. Um, this is probably one of my favorite parts of it is just like all the parts where, where she's acting as Jimmy. Um, and then there's a number of other, uh, characters in here, but like, I guess the one other character who you never actually see is that like a small UFO, the size of like a dinner plate lands on Margaret's roof. Um, and you see stuff from the perspective of the alien in the UFO, which is like all weird, like they're, they're doing digital processing on the film, uh, that's making it like really psychedelic imagery, um, where you kind of get this like weird heat map effect, but not quite with, uh, with like people, uh, but it's all like rainbowy. And then there's like, whenever people, uh, do drugs or orgasm and they have like the, the endorphins, there's like this like exploding that happens in the brain that like sort of overtakes the, the image, um, and throughout it, we eventually meet, um, I forget the name of, there's like this German scientist who is investigating, uh, the aliens and is like, basically the aliens, uh, have been like feeding on the punk community because of the like, uh, high rates of like sex and drug use. And it's like trying to get these endorphins. Um, but then it's like either purposefully or accidentally killing people in the process. Uh, and so the, the, the bulk of the movie is Margaret, uh, having like multiple, uh, bad sexual encounters, which, which range from like, you know, outright rape to just like not satisfying sex. 
Um, and she comes to believe that she has the power to kill people because when people have the orgasm, that's when the like alien is extracting this stuff from them. And then the people will like die. And at first it's just like a normal death. And then eventually they start like turning into weird, uh, shimmering energy and vanishing. Um, and at the end of the film, she, she learns that the, actually the only reason why she hasn't died is that like nobody can make her come. Uh, and this is the like basic arc of the movie. It's it's oh, like short bus. Yeah, it. I think that this movie uh, would be better if it was shorter, but also it feels in the spirit of No Wave to be a little too long and abrasive. <laughs> so I'll allow it. Um, but also, I think it would just be like a, a better movie if it was a little bit like more concise and, and focused on the stuff that it's trying to do, because uh, it's kind of just weird and sprawling at parts. Um, but again, that feels like in spirit of the the post punk scene that they're they're like focusing on here. Um, mm. But uh, I did really enjoy it. I mean, I I have a lot of like when I was in middle school, I started listening to No Wave stuff, um, and like a lot of No Wave when I was in high school. Um, so I also had like a certain affection for the the aesthetics here, and I I think at times this movie is really gorgeous. Um, it, it does a thing that like people who've listened to this podcast and, and watched along um, Paris, Texas does that thing where like when there's neon, it shoots the neon and doesn't try to color correct. And so just stuff gets like weird and like the colors just become uh, sort of unreal from the effect of the neon without like trying mm -hmm. to do the normal color correction you would do on film. Um, and I feel like you get like a similar effect here uh, whenever neon shows up that, uh, is interesting and just like all the spaces feel like uh really like cluttered and lived in 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 a way that um i enjoyed uh so like in terms of the aesthetics and it just kind of being this weird countercultural film uh, i really enjoyed it but like the there's also this way that the like plot is this kind of shambling mess uh that's a little bit interesting but also um I feel like there's some parts where like, I, I don't know exactly what it's trying to say because it gets so like weird and messy with what it's doing. So, um, yeah. Uh, I did. Oh, and the, the end is, uh, she falls in love with the alien and is like trying to get the alien to, to take her away. <laughs> so yeah, me too. Yeah. That's me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do. I do highly recommend it. I think like, there, there is a part where um, Anne Carlyle as Margaret gives head to Anne Carlyle as Jimmy, uh, which is just like a, a really potent scene. <laughs> so, um, like, I was watching this while watching it, thinking like, I bet Destiny would enjoy this movie. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a very good chance she's seen yeah. it. Um, where is is it? Is it streaming on something? It seems like a thing that might be online. Um, so it is. The, it's not streaming. Um, Vinegar Syndrome did a, a restoration okay. recently. Um, so, which that's like a for people who don't know. Um, I was about to say you're yeah. assuming I don't know what Vinegar Syndrome is. How fucking <laughs> for dare people you? who don't know, uh, <laughs> it, it's like a, a smaller like you know quote unquote boutique uh, like restoration you know Blu-ray um, company that. 
is like loosely affiliated with Arrow or like Arrow helps spotlight some other stuff sometimes. Yeah. So I'm sure at some point this was sh- like streaming on Arrow and it, it might yeah. come back around. But, um, you know, if, if you don't want to go to the websites to find it, uh, you know, the ones, um, you'd probably just have to pick up a, a copy from Vinegar Syndrome, which is mm-hmm. worth supporting. So um, I'm considering getting a copy of it, having seen it. So. Oh yeah, it sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Um again, I think I think it's a little too long. Uh it's like an hour 45 or something. Uh and I feel like if it was like an hour and a half or like hour 20, it would, it would be better, but uh it was still I think it's worth watching. So. Basically every movie on earth would be better if it was an hour 20. I don't, yeah. I don't think of, uh, there are very few things I'm like this really this is me. This is a me problem. I recognize it. But I every time I'm like, oh, if this is 80 minutes. My life would be better. But yeah. that's because I am busy. Not because the movies don't deserve to be rambling and too long. The, um, the thing is, I often feel that. But I also have the impulse of, or the movie is just like three to five hours long. Like, it's just like, like I, ridiculously long. That's too, as someone who's watched too many three to five hour movies, uh, it's too long. It's too fucking long. You really got to earn that one. Yeah. You do have to earn it, but there are some movies where I will, I'll be like, okay, you can go beyond the like 90 minutes. Go to, (laughs) go long. So, uh, in terms of stairs, there's like, one scene where I think like the scientist is running upstairs. It's really not like a, unless I am forgetting a scene, it's not like a stairwell. It's a, it's a interior of apartments movie for the most okay. part. Yeah. Sure. Um, so I'm going to do like a, a D I think, um, yeah. not reflective. My favorite of the, the movies that I watched this week, I think including sweet. Yeah. Home. I mean, that, that clearly sounds like it. Yeah. And it is like specifically appealing to shit that I'm into, but, um yeah um well i think that's it do we, do we want to get to the main movie yeah sure uh so this week we watched sweet home the 1989 movie from kurosawa kiyoshi um produced by uh what's his name tommy um, yeah uh, who was the director of um, Tom Popo, which you, you covered recently, was likely killed by the Yakuza. Yes. Um, I hate that I search for it and I keep getting, I think it's like a Korean drama or something. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, um, I think this movie is like most well known for uh, being released alongside a video game with the same title yes. that then inspired resident evil. Um, uh, having not played the sweet home video game, I, I truly genuinely do not see the connection. Other <laughs> I mean, than I understand, like, I understand how resident evil comes out of RPGs. Uh, that yeah. part makes total sense to me. Um, but if you, if, if you told me without that to like make the leap, I would be, I would look at you like, what? I mean, I guess they happen in a house. That's it. That's yeah. all I got. They happen in a house. Uh, and I guess just like this idea of like a survival horror game, Mm -hmm. I, I guess the thing that I can kind of see that's happening in, I, I was joking, uh, because 
So when we decided on this, uh, Autumn was like, oh, that movie sounds really good. I want to watch it. So then we still watched it together. They're just not recording about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and we were watching it and making jokes about like, uh, you know, they would find a key and it'd be like, oh, it's the blue key for the blue door. Like there is a certain amount of like you get the items that like you need to use in a spot. Uh, we were joking about the part two where you have to go back in the level to get the casket with the baby in it so that you can take it to solve you know, the end of the game, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. I, Fatal frame stuff, not yeah. Resident Evil stuff. Yeah. But I, there's a, there's a certain amount of like puzzle logic in the movie that I yeah. assume gets intensified in the video game. I think that's true of most hauntings haunt. Like yeah. to thwart a ghost is to solve a puzzle of like, what do they want? What, what magical logic leaps do I need to make to interact with the supernatural? And will it exact a price for me having done so? Right. Yeah. Um, anyway, should we, should we summarize this movie before we get deeper into it? Sure. Um, so there's like a, a film crew, um, and I forget exactly what role everyone's playing in this, but, uh, there's five people, um, and they go, or does it start as four? No, No, there's, there's five. There's the dad, the daughter, the producer who the The dad is like interested in and becomes yeah. the surrogate mother for the, the daughter because um, the daughter lost her mom. Uh, and then there's the, the photographer who dies early on, uh, Taguchi. Um, and then the art restorer, Asuka, uh, who like gets possessed. Um, and they're going into the abandoned mansion of this artist named Mamiya uh, because there are like his last frescoes uh, inside the house um, that nobody is like found yet. And they're going to go like restore them and record it and stuff. Um, and like publish the, the paintings and do a documentary about it. Uh, anyway, while they're there, uh, they find that the frescoes are not what they assume they would be. Uh, they have paintings of a, a baby that's been thrown into the fire. Uh, I wonder what happened here. Uh, why did he change it to be about a baby th- being thrown into the fire? Uh, and then they start getting, uh, haunted by lady mamia uh his wife uh who's shouting like give me my baby back and stuff uh and then they discover that um her baby uh, it was the reveal was especially funny because it's that the the toddler started walking and walked into the furnace and then she mm-hmm. turned it on <laughs> um which once they like go down to the furnace and there's like a big gate and everything i'm like this is like i'm surprised this happened <laughs> um but anyway, uh, the the toddler uh, burns alive, and then the added details that we get is uh, Lady Mamia, in her grief, started abducting uh, other toddlers from the community and throwing them into the furnace uh, so that, you know, her kid would have children, like, friends to play with. Uh, and then when the town found out, they, like, raided the house um, and... Uh, I think she then threw herself into the fire as she was like being surrounded um, and is now haunting them or haunting the house basically. And they, they like uh, put this special ward that's like a, this stack of rocks with like a skull or something on top uh, that Taguchi very early on just destroys foolishly to like grab a rock to break a lock. Um, so with that broken, uh, the lady Mamiya like, hunts in the shadows of the the um mansion they have to try and 
basically navigate it and uh in the end uh akiko who's the the producer um becomes sort of the surrogate mother for the daughter uh emmy um has to like prove that she would be willing to go in the fires to save her um and in doing so like breaks the curse and returns the baby to you know the the corpse of uh the baby to mommy and everything's resolved and they leave and then at the end of the credits uh it was a load-bearing boss and the the mansion collapses yeah that's yeah. true i don't know if there's any notable details there but um no, no. there's like some like light comedy hijinks at the beginning that happen uh and then it gets like increasingly uh just more scary stuff there's a lot of practical effects here um, yeah, I, there's like a there's like a very like uh, Sam Raimi style sensibility to just like go like goofy things sold very straight as like people are brutally murdered. But I I, I love that stuff. I eat it yeah, up. it's so good. Um, the thing with me, the comedy stuff is weird because it doesn't actually just go away as like yeah. the ghost starts showing up. The movie, the thing that like struck me the most is that there's like a a treacly melodrama that intrudes upon the haunted house plot for the entire movie. It's never gone. Um, and it's mostly about this. It doesn't connect. The movie itself does not connect the dots. It just kind of sets all this on the table that Emmy is being like projected upon by the adults in the story in a way that it's like about the way in which adults use children as like bastions of their own like sense of identity. Um, yeah. That like reflects the ghost story, but it's not, a, it never like connects the two at all. <laughs> yeah. They just kind of exist in this melodrama about this girl who like her dad is going around like, Oh, you know, you need to make sure that you're a proper girl so you can get a husband. Uh, at the same time, there's like a very like intense motherhood ghost story happening. And it doesn't really like, uh, like the characters definitely don't notice, but like the way in which the movie ends up reflecting a, a created mother daughter relationship out of nothing as the way to like solve the puzzle, even as you dispel the ghost and the, you know, by giving her her baby back, whatever is just like weird. There's like, it's like highly frictive, but not like saying anything. It just yeah. is. There's, there's a way in which like, uh, it sometimes feels like it's saying something and sometimes feels like it's just doing the trope of like the heterosexual family is restored. Here's yes. the mom, dad and the, the daughter leaving the mansion alive and safe. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it was previously this like non-existent fractured family <clears throat> where Akiko was like seemingly uninterested in the, the director uh, Kazuo um, and like through this hardship with uh emmy sort of decides to be like emmy's mother uh and then in doing so is like also going to be kazuo's uh wife i guess um, yeah it's also like a lot is put on uh akiko to like solve it yes um in a way where like there's so many death flags that get thrown up for Kazuo like early in the movie, but then he just happens to luck into the like uh, charm that. So at a certain point, uh, this old man whose name I forget uh, also comes and helps out and sacrifices himself. Yes. Um, He's the full on. It's got a death curse. Friday yeah. 13th guy. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, and he has this, like, charm that protects you, and at one point, uh, Kazuo just, like, accidentally gets it and puts it in his pocket and seemingly survives because of that. Um, and also because he just hides. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Which I thought was funny. I also I I'm not sure, but I think the the old man is played by uh, Itami Juzo. Oh, okay. Uh, I think this was like his last uh, starring role. Interesting. Um. But yeah, well, both Akiko and Oscar are like character like actors. Both of them were in Tampopo. I was like, oh, I know them. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's like a. In, in some ways, I was watching this and it felt not like necessarily stylistically, but there are ways where it felt more like an Itami film than a mm. Kurosawa film. Uh, just because of I like, that. you know, who's, who's starring in it and all of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. and also like the comedic tone, which Kurosawa can do, but I feel like he has a slightly different sense of humor. Usually when I, when I've seen him, like the only other Kurosawa movies stuff. I've seen are cure, which has a dark comedy to it, but I would not call it a comedy film and pulse, which I remember being very serious. I haven't seen it in some time, but I would not yeah. describe that as comedic at all. Um, I think the the one that I've seen that is, and I know he has a like. I think Tokyo Sonata. Uh, I I've seen that, but like not for a really long time, so I mm-hmm. don't entirely remember. Um, but uh, I always forget because they're like both in my mind together. But there's um, Path of the Serpent and uh, what is it? Uh, it's like snakes eyes of the snake or or no of the spider like spider something sure i'm trying to remember them now um i think those are both him um now i'm trying to see if i can figure this out but anyway uh those have like a, a certain sense of humor to them um especially one of them that's like uh focuses in more on just like being a Yakuza is having a shitty job. Um, and there's like a lot of comedic moments around that, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but it, it is still like in this like weirder dark comedy thing. That's not quite this mode. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, the other thing is I was watching this and it, and I was just enjoying it as like a, a pleasantly mid, like saying that complimentary horror movie. Um, yes. But also there's a certain amount to which, like, I understand why this is mostly remembered for, like, there's a video game that went on to be influential. Um, yes. Because I was also watching it being like, man, House is fucking great. Uh, yeah. Pulse is fucking great. Like, <laughs> Comparing this to Pulse is rude. It, r- Pulse is too good and big in something else. Like, I know. This is, this is just like. A ch- this is like a cheesy VHS you pick up at the blockbuster, you throw it on, you're like, oh, there's some good kills. The tone was a little weird. Um, there's that one scene where she's washing her hair and it, the shadows cast on the wall and it like doesn't really do anything, but it's like really like just evocative. And I'm like, man, sometimes this movie just fucking goes yeah. uh, for like a, like an image that is arresting um, and then does nothing with it. <laughs> Don't but worry like, about yeah, it. But like- I was specifically thinking of Pulse because one, the the way that shadows are being used here, I think he's doing mm. a really good job with it, but is he's going to make it so much scarier in Pulse. Yes. Um, and then there's also like like the way that the door to the furnace is shot is the same way mm. that like the doors with the red tape around them are shot. Um, yes. And just like the idea of these ghosts that like emerge from the shadows and stuff. There's like yeah. things here that clearly he's going to develop more. Uh 
into something that is, as you say, it's just, uh, it's not fair comparing them, but there's you know. enough connective tissue where I can see that like stuff that he worked on with this, he developed more into pulse. Sure. Uh, I'm just saying pulse is like genuinely legitimately like top 10 horror yeah. movies ever made territory. And it's unfair. Uh, it, it might be the scariest movie I've ever seen. I, uh, I don't know how to measure that. I don't yeah. know if I would say that about it, but I do deeply love it. I mean, I have, I bought it on uh Blu-ray and I haven't gotten around to rewatching it. Um, I'm really excited too. Yeah. It's really good. Um, also in the, the, like one of the things in pulse, that's just bizarre too, is how many like shots of empty streets of Tokyo exist in that movie, yes. which is just bizarre to see. like, it's unsettling to see Tokyo that deserted. Yes. Um, so, but yeah, this is not compare, but like, there's enough that I, I still thought about it all the time while mm. I was watching this. And I also thought about house, which is, you know. There's similarities here, but House is just so much weirder with it. Yeah, I just uh, that that thing is such an iconic yeah comedy romp that I feel rude again doing the the movie. This made me think of, and it, it, it's um it's also a mid horror movie. Is uh, the 1999 specifically version of House on Haunted Hill, um, which yeah. has like Jeffrey Rush and Famke Jansen, whatever. Um, Cause I, that was on cable a lot when I was uh, in my teens and I definitely watched a bunch of it. Um, and it's just a bunch of like, people go to a house and spooky stuff happens. That one's also about ghost babies that are murdered and causing the house to be haunted. Um, and uh, I, I've always been rather fond of it. And there's the slow roll of people in a house that they're all, they want to be here. Um, but there's ghosts. So what do you do about that? Do we just stay? I guess we're just going to stay, even though we know it's the wrong idea um, is good. Um, it's a good framework on which to hang a 90 minute movie. Um, Sweet Home's a little longer than that, but it's fine. Yeah. Um, um it's the thing that's a, the thing about this movie that just made me think of it. Um, just cause, um, I played a game recently for another podcast that had similar like presence of like TV crew goes into a haunted place. Um, is this weird recurring, idea of like the film crew being the like invasive force into a place that normal people would know to stay away from but the the artifice of we're going to film a thing just makes you a violating like army like a small army who yeah. is going to going to intrude on the unintrudable uh for the sake of making a show out of it and it just makes everyone even the people who you're supposed to root for feel like cheap and aggressive like default I think that's interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, one detail I thought was really funny too, is there's the part where, um, the, the cameraman, um, he like finds an ax, uh, to Gucci and he's like carrying <laughs> it around, but he's carrying it with like the heavy sharp part up in the air. And I'm just like, why, and he like puts it he like leans it up with it up too and like i know why it's because they want the part where it turns and like falls and hits somebody right in the head the, the, but, the best part of the best part of that though is it's introduced by him dragging into the room with like the zombie shot of yeah. like feet dragging the axe along the floor you're like oh some horrible monster's gonna come yeah in pyramid head's thing. gonna come in here <laughs> yes <laughs> 
Um, yeah, it's very funny. And then like he comes in holding it in there and it's just so it's like, I don't know why you just, you, you wouldn't keep the blade down other than yeah. it's just the comedy, you know, he almost like kills people with it in that moment, but in like a comedy way. Um, yes. and then later it will fall and hit someone right in the head. But, um, I was just laughing so much about like the way he was choosing to hold the ax and set the ax back up. <laughs> Mm. Um, there's also like, uh, oh, the other part, um, that was like, they're truly just relishing the special effects, but it like tips back over into just extreme comedy, um, is when, uh, the, the character who I think is played by Itami, uh, he's like telling them to run. He does the like Gandalf run you fools. Um, and then like by the ghost power gets burned alive. Uh, and the, the family just like sits and watches as he like, you know, the skin starts burning and sloughing off. And then like the muscles and then like the bones are like burning and crumbling. It's just like all the layers burning down and they're just like sitting there watching it before they run away. Uh, I just, I couldn't help, but, uh, laugh at that stuff. So, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Overall, though, I really enjoy it. And the the comparison stuff, too, is, like, I I enjoy this on its own merits. It also just explains to me why, like, people only remember this for the game. Um, Yeah. Because there's just so much other stuff that you're going to, like, remember or prize over it, I think. Even though it is charming in its own right. There's nothing wrong with a horror movie being mid. The world is, uh, many evenings are spent on mid-horror movies, and they're all good evenings. Yeah. It's fine. To enjoy horror movies is to fundamentally enjoy a mid complimentary movie. <laughs> yes. Um, so I still had a lot of fun. It was a blast. Yeah. yeah. Um, we do have to rate the stairs. There are stairs, but they yeah. are very unremarkable. Yeah. We also like, we don't get like super good shots of like going down the stairs to where the furnace is. No, Um, there is a shot that's like going upstairs and that shot in particular, just like that was one where I just thought about the, the blood and the stairs and house. And I was like, these cannot compare, you know? No. So it's like, maybe like a C I could do a C. I would give it a D, but if you want to do a C, we can do a C. I feel like there's like at least some like upstairs, downstairs, like important stuff, you know, going down to the furnace. There's like at least meaning attached to the stairs. So I just feel like we should aspire to a metric more than the house has multiple levels and it means something to go into a basement or to be in the, on the second floor, which I think is what you're describing, but I'm not going to push the issue. We'll, we'll do a D plus. All right. We'll we'll knock up your D to a D plus. That's fair. Um, we did get some emails. Oh, Nice. Where can people send those if they want to send emails? Uh, currently, send send them to ghostdiverspod at gmail.com so that I can get them. Yes. Um, it's different than our normal email. but uh, So the first one comes in from Aiden. Uh, Aiden says, suppose Kiyoshi Kurosawa is tapped to direct a Resident Evil movie. Uh, what game uh, should he adapt or which character would be fun to see him work with? I, I feel like you have more Resident Evil knowledge than me. So 
asking the wrong person because my 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 deepest wish is for someone to do a Code Veronica movie, um, which is the one that <laughs> Capcom does not want anyone to talk about because it's like about weird, incestuous, rich siblings who live in a like Antarctic base and how they went crazy and started becoming each other. Yeah. Um, but it's perfect. <laughs> um, I have played uh, Code Veronica and yeah, that would be a great one. I think it would also be fun if he did a Code Veronica movie, but also had to keep it in the world of the Resident Evil movies. Oh, you mean you? Oh, oh, <laughs> damn. Okay. Emilia Jovovich is here. Yes. <laughs> is she speaking Japanese? Is this is a Japanese language movie. This is my question. Is she the only person speaking English? <laughs> I think she should be the only person speaking English. Um, <laughs> Does she fight Wesker in a Matrix fight in a submarine bay? um maybe okay yeah is is a stand-in for titanic's own leonardo dicaprio there oh obviously (laughs) okay good (laughs) probably like two (laughs) one's a clone of the other (laughs) yeah obviously um (laughs) beautiful i feel like we've answered that one um ina writes in uh says i have actually not seen sweet home but i have played sweet home when i was like 14 and i thought it was sick uh that game was also my introduction to the artistic medium of frescoes i don't know how important those are in the movie but they're a huge deal to the plot of the nes nes version uh as we said that's like the whole MacGuffin, i guess you know i wouldn't say it wasn't that i wouldn't say it was that important yeah all things considered but, like, the premise is going in to get the frescoes. Yeah, and there's then, just a minute yeah. where they're, like, uncovering the frescoes where I'm like, oh, this whole room's like a Lambent configuration. But that's not actually what the story's about. Yeah. Anyway, the question is, do you have a piece of media that you remember giving you a strong first impression of another kind of art? Of another kind of art. Hmm, that's yeah. interesting. I thought this was going to go the other way where I was about to tell you how much I loved the, the video game Goonies 2. Um <laughs> And then watched the Goonies and was bitterly disappointed by in multiple directions. <laughs> that is a, a disappointing movie. Yes. Um, another kind of art. I don't really have that. Um, yeah. Cause I don't, I can't think of too many. There's like, that's not true. When I played star ocean two second story, which is a PlayStation game from 1999, I think maybe 98. Um, there has a very extensive cooking like mini game or you get ingredients and you craft food items that are mostly realistic. And uh, I have low key made it a goal in life to whenever I encounter a dish on a menu that is from star ocean two, I will try it. Cause I want to try everything. Um, <laughs> I guess that's the closest I get. Yeah. <clears throat> I feel like there's not like a broad art form, but like I first encounter, I was aware of like Kabuki and no, before mm-hmm. I watched Japanese movies, just as like a general thing. But like most of my initial knowledge and idea of it came from movies. So I guess um, I would say that this, this makes me think of, uh, and I, it is stuck with me. Um, an iconic line from, uh, Yasunari Kawabata's snow country, which is a uh, very famous Japanese novel. Um, the, the main characters describe, he's like this fucking pretentious asshole. He's just like a, middle manager who thinks he's hot shit but he's he, he's described early on in the book as being an expert in the occidental opera even though he's never seen one and it just fucking like lands through my heart <laughs> as like a type of guy yeah 
Um, <clears throat> and then uh, final email. This comes in from Jackson, who says, Sup, homies, it is Jackson. Here's my movie question for you all. Uh, which movies do you feel in your bones should be 480p and watched on a computer monitor? Or any similar sense memories? Which movies should be watched on a VCR, etc.? Um, and mm. then they say, for me, it's Battle Royale. Watching that on a laptop at my friend's birthday party is so defining to the experience of the film. It feels wrong that most people just watched it at a cinema. Um, the first one I will say is multiple people have sent me the the Blu-ray release of uh, Suicide Circle, a.k.a. Suicide Club. And that movie yeah. is such a DVD movie to me. I remember renting that on DVD when yeah. I was in college. Um, so I never, I genuinely don't have this for movies, like watching them on a laptop. That that whole like period just kind of, I was putting them on TV. Like I would watch DVDs. I have very intense sense memories about DVDs, but they're not watching them on a laptop. Yeah. Uh, when I think of the things I watch on laptops, I think of like house and the, the, the house MD, the television show. And like uh, initial D <laughs> and uh, the first time I watched Utena, I think was yeah. on a laptop, uh, stuff like that. Um, and I don't really think of movies um, VHS for me. Um, I, uh, I think of um, I think of Terminator 2, which I've probably seen 800 times on uh, VHS and Jurassic Park. Those were the two childhood DVD or VHS is just fucking wore out. Yeah. Um. For a while, the the I would not say that this was like for me the defining way to watch it. But mm. when I first saw Sonatina, it was in a theater and it was incredible. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be able to watch it like whenever I wanted to watch it. And there still isn't a good release of Sonatina. Oh, um, really? Damn. Like the the Blu-ray is like UK only. Um, oh. And so for a long time, any time that I wanted to watch it. Uh, I was watching a, like I myself digitized, I, I went to the library where they had a Betamax version of Sonatine, uh, checked it out. And at the time I worked at a video archive. And so once while I was doing other work, I, I was running, uh, the, that for just for myself, the Sonatine Betamax, uh, and digitized it. And that was what I would watch for years. Um, at this point, I have a, a friend who has the the UK Blu-ray and did like a Blu-ray quality rip. So that's what I watch. And it's incredible seeing all the detail. Uh, but there is still a certain nostalgia factor. Um, yeah. Also, I have uh, Wrath of Khan on Betamax. And I want a Betamax player someday because I just feel like that's a Betamax movie. Mm-hmm. Like not VHS specifically. I think it has to be Betamax. Um. And then I liked Iron Giant a lot as a kid, and I think of that as a, a VHS movie. That's my other one. There are like a number of other ones. Like I watched a lot of Star Wars and stuff, but that stuff feels less contained to VHS. So, um, I think that's it. That's it for questions. Next week we will be watching Throw Away Your Books Rally in the Streets by Terra Yama Shuji. Sorry. We forgot to mention it. You can find the film on rarefilmm.com. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about anything else or we can just wrap this up. 
Yeah, we can wrap it up. We've gone a good uh, 90 minutes. Uh, well, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at EM underscore being. You can find all of my podcasts at neuralmapping.com. If you'd like to listen to the sister show to this podcast, uh, it's Repertory Screenings, repertoryscreenings.com. Um, we have already put out our episode. This will be our only July episode on Funeral Parade of Roses, which I actually had to pause 30 minutes from the end to go record this, and I'm going to go watch the rest of it tomorrow night. That movie um, rules. That, that movie's fucking incredible. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, having a great time. Um, and uh, we're taking the month off. Not because I'm coasting on this. That was actually incidental. Uh, we are just going to take the month off because Destiny's going to be not at home to record. Um, but we've been going for a couple years now. We're coming up on episode 100. We talk about a bunch of movies. Uh, we tend to pick like classics. I feel like you're, you're the cool underground podcast and we're like the fucking everything that's on a you should watch this before you die list but no one ever gets to we're just knocking them down that's our yeah um (laughs) and uh but you know it's been pretty much all bangers there's very few movies that have been bad on the repertory screenings list so i'm pretty happy with that um and check that out i have a bunch of other podcasts too uh neve was on great gundam project talk with the nfc destiny that was great i'm sure the the show to be clear the show wasn't the podcast yes no yeah yeah (laughs) Um, I, <laughs> who can even, who can even appraise the, the quality of seed and seed destiny? Um, we do around long fire together, which is now on hiatus cause we're doing this for a month, uh, which is fine. Cause I was happy to take a break from King Olaf. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, you can follow me at Fox Mamnia on basically any social media that I'm on. Um, Twitter, co-host which i don't really use uh blue sky which i do use but nobody's on because it's still invite only um letterboxd if you have a letterboxd all that stuff um go listen to my other podcasts uh ghost divers we're doing psychopaths now which is exciting um enjoying it uh big horror vibes kind of yeah, I know, especially early on when the, the those guns just fucking turn people into soup, and it's yeah. sick as hell. Uh, I was like an episode and a half in, and I was like, oh, it's like a Hannibal. That's why that's why Emma Jackson like it. It's like a Jackson's Manhunter not seen Hannibal. Hannibal. <laughs> Jackson's not seen Hannibal? I know. I but love it, Hannibal. But still, I think Jackson would like Hannibal. I, I do think that's true. Yeah. Um. <laughs> That's not that's not actually why Jackson likes it, but yeah, you will have to talk about it when you're further in. Yeah. Um, you're only watching season one, right? And the movie? Yeah, season one in the movie. Okay. And then we have like our new format is like Connor picks one, I pick one, and then we have like a yes. guest slot or like a wild slot. So like guest stuff will go in or we might fill yeah. in additional seasons. Or like, Every time you say that, I briefly have like my eyes flash. Like, oh, I could be one of those. And I was like, wait, I don't want to fucking watch more anime. Are you kidding me? You could at some point, maybe you will want to watch more anime, and then you could. Yeah, GGP will be over someday. Yeah. Um. So, uh, other podcasts uh, you mentioned around the long fire. Uh, my one other one is um, pondering Putan. Uh, you just talked about the manga this week. It fucking threw me. We we do it sometimes. And it so, like every time that we do it, I feel like it's a bit that we're actually doing our job. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That feels like the most we're doing a bit out of anything to me is when we actually I listen talk to it. And I'm like, I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, I don't know if you're just making this all up. And the bit is that the, you're not talking about the real chapter of the comic. 
Uh, I'd believe it if that was true. If it turns out somebody I read it and re-listen the podcast and these turn out to be totally fabricated <laughs> discussions of a comic, I wouldn't bat an eye. Um, uh, no comment, I guess. Yeah. Um, still no one's guessed the song, but yeah, I think, I think I've just given up on people figuring it out. Okay. Um, yeah, that's about it. I don't, I don't have too much else. Nanahachi is real. Yeah, that's true. You have to say it or else the podcast doesn't end. I don't know. You put that fan cam in last time. It was nice. I hadn't heard the dub. The dub is actually pretty decent sounding. Yeah. Is that like a new dub or is this, has it always been dubbed? I don't actually know about the anime of not. Um, I think it's been dubbed. Uh, okay. Because I know they put out that new Blu-ray. I don't know if they did yeah. like a new dub for that. I don't when they think did that they or... did a dub for it. Okay. Okay. Um, right. But... Yeah, I think they got some good voices for it. It's it's pretty good. Yeah. I uh, mean, it's not... is real. Okay, we're done.
buttons hit. Uh, yeah, sadly they just don't put stairs in movies anymore. Yeah. Um, anyway, are you, are you at all getting hit by the smoke stuff, or are you just outside the room? The air quality is bad, but it is not like it has not been super deleterious to my health right yet. I don't know. Does it look like Silent Hill outside? No, 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 no. We're not there yet. Okay, that's. I don't think it, it, it was like. It was like storming all last night. Like it real, we a huge storm blew through, and uh, that might have helped. Yeah, that was today. Um, but yeah, so we haven't had we haven't had the like haze that we had like the last time this happened. Um, yeah, I think it blew more east than it did south. Yeah, we've had a lot of haze. Um, I mean, it's never been like PlayStation One Silent Hill to yeah. like that level of draw distance, but like. Uh, they are trying to to help out the CPU here in Chicago. So, mm. um, yeah, which I, it's gotten bad enough that it's like a general warning for everyone. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not uh, like there's definitely like air quality warnings here. Uh, yeah, but it, I, I've seen it worse, uh, but yeah, I haven't noticed it like physically. So, yeah, that's it's nice. not been a, it's not been as bad here as I think it was in like New York mm-hmm. uh, not too long ago. Oh, you mean where it was all orange and yeah, we yeah. didn't get to that stage, but it was still me having asthma and also recovering from a respiratory illness. Yes, uh, I mostly stayed inside and like I had to drive to work today and then drive back and just like the minimal amount of time I spent outside. Also, I think the the air quality is probably a little bit worse in my office because the it's connected to a warehouse and that warehouse has like open doors all the time, uh, for like shipping and stuff. Um. And so I got like home today and I was just fucking wiped. Um, so I've hit my, my inhaler, mul- my rescue inhaler multiple times today, just like sitting around, which is not great. <laughs> um, but I'm here. We, we're just full in on homophobia right now, by the way. Uh, I don't know yeah, if you're ready for this. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I, I understood. Uh, it's ornate stairwells. I'm on. Yeah. No, I, we're not. I'm not doing the intro yet. I have the intro oh. all planned out. Okay, fine, fine. I mean, do I you guess... want to do you want to do it as all? No, 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 no. Because no. I don't remember okay. what the gimmick of your intro is ever. Is there one? There's do you like, have like a pattern? I don't actually remember. There, it's like there is one that just Autumn has fallen into, but it's not oh. like a, you know, it's not like a Gotham City Limits style one. Yeah, like I have like when I open a podcast, I have very specific things I say every single goddamn time. But um, there is, like, specific things that Autumn says. It's just, like, generic stuff. So I had to specifically ask them to send me a voice message of what they say so I could try and figure it out. Okay. Uh, meow, meow. There we go. I did it. <laughs> um, anyway, before we also get into the podcast, uh, I wanted to ask you. I've watched four episodes of Edeon so far. Yo! Uh, when, when does the show get good? Because oh. right now it's bad. <laughs> Don't do this to me. I love Idion. I know, but like, I assume that like it gets good. Have you watched? Have you listened to the GGPs? I love Idion from the jump. I think Idion's incredible. They're just, they're like, basically aren't characters right now. The best, it bursts out laughing the minute someone says we found okay. tra- ancient space trucks. There is Bess. Bess sucks, but like, I mean, it's like, they're not, off, they're not off the solo planet, right? No. Are they just, they're, yeah. I mean, yeah, they just like, activated the, the ship yeah you're you're still in the prologue this would be like the yeah. pilot movie so it's fine you got plenty. and like i kind of like cheryl and then like in episode Cheryl's. three and four they just hated her 
<laughs> so yeah. the yeah. thing Idion is a workplace comedy about people who are terrible failing to reach each other emotionally. And I think it's beautiful. Um, <laughs> well, right now there's only like two characters. So I even, I mean, I know the name Cosmo. He has a yeah. distinctive look. He has no personality. Uh, he's barely a character. All I know is that he pilots the. Like EDM. Kasha's like barely in the show at this point. I feel like. If I who? <laughs> oh, yeah. Kasha. Kasha's I remember the, the name Kasha. Yeah. She's, she's great. Yeah. So um, I feel like I just don't have any characters. Uh, and also it's not like, like any Tomino show is going to probably take a little bit of time to like build up whatever's happening politically in this world. So right now it's just like, uh, humans and aliens and they're going to fight. Oh, don't go into the, but thing also the politics show. This is not the politics show. <laughs> okay. That's fine. It doesn't have to be the politics show, but the character work isn't there in these first four episodes for me. Yeah. Um, maybe it will, will develop, but like, I, there's like three characters that I'm like at all interested in right now. Um, well, I and hope then, you, I hope you come around on it. Cause yeah. otherwise I can't talk to you about it. Cause I love Idion <laughs> more than every Gundam show we've ever watched probably put together. So, um, <laughs> can't be normal by Idion. And then also the, the aesthetics of the, the Idion right now have not the the trucks that combine into like a toyetic robot is is yeah. not the type of robot that I enjoy as much. So I uh, I love a big super robot. Uh, the combining thing I could take or leave. Um, the part where they literally just ripped off the idiot. To be fair, uh, Kawamori just made that twice. But making the trans making Optimus Prime uh, like oh I, I drew this robot. Do you like this one too? And like can we make it smaller? And he's like yes. I don't care. Yeah. Um, also I enjoy the aesthetics of it, but right now I'm still in the phase where, uh, it's also the aesthetics of Diatron five. Um, because Diatron five just lifts a, a large number of character designs from this. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's also the thing is that I'm like, I'm enjoying the aesthetics, but that's not in and of itself going to get me through. So, well, um, uh, keep going. Because yeah. it's worth doing. I'm going to keep going. I'm just like, right now, after four episodes, I was like, oh, this is not double Zeta to me yet. <laughs> it's it's never going to be double Zeta. Um, I like it more than double Zeta throughout. But yeah. Um. Also. So I know like a contact is like a compilation movie. Yes. But also it's like changing things, right? So you truly don't have to watch a contact, especially if you're going directly from my finish the show into into um, be invoked. Uh, okay. There's like one new song and it's like because it's condensing most of the show into a single movie, it, it, it takes some liberties, but it doesn't like it's not like a canon conflict that wouldn't make be invoked make sense if you only saw the TV show. It's just okay. some things are rearranged because we got to move fast. Yeah, I would say a contact is totally skippable if you're like me and inevitably watch the you know what? I haven't watched either of the turn a um, compilation movies and their seed compilation movies. I probably won't subject myself to. But for a while, I was watching every compilation movie of Gundam. Um, but if you're unless you're like that, I would say don't watch a contact. It's fine. The song isn't even that good. It's like fine, but you can just watch it on YouTube. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Well, hopefully, I feel like I will come around on Edeon, but, uh, like, I'm hoping it will be the inverse of Dunbine, which will mean that I will like it more in the end. Yeah. Because Dunbine came out hot, and then it, it uh, yes. petered off. <laughs> this is, this is my opinion yeah. of Dunbine as well, yes. <laughs> um, you listen to me talk about it at length. Yes. So. There's, like, ten episodes where they're on Earth where uh, either they need to be, like, doing interesting stuff with the real-world politics of Earth, or they just need to do the what was the ending and then talk about what the aftermath is from mm-hmm. that for like 10 episodes so the other thing about uh idion that is not true of any other of these mecha shows is they don't have uh soundtrack composed by sugiyama rest in piss motherfucker <laughs> i don't even know who did the soundtrack for this one but i mean the the opening and the ending music is great sugiyama Koichi Sugiyama is famous mostly for doing dragon quest he is a well-known oh. uh japanese nationalist okay. and fucking yeah. died yeah <laughs> and everyone was happy that he died even though everyone loves the dragon quest music and i love the Dion music and i have i have a Dion album i have a couple anime like vinyls um because yeah. back before covid you could pay a reasonable amount to import them and now they cost so much money the yen in the toilet would be great shipping like 80 dollars to get, get anything from japan <laughs> yeah um i mean the the big thing uh, I was reading up on this because there was like a whole explainer when I was getting the stuff from the the website that like was selling the Nana stuff mm-hmm. um, that uh, basically during COVID, they started taxing anything that went through Japan Post, mm-hmm. which means that if you're ordering through Japan Post and then paying the, the Japanese taxes on it, um, it's usually going to come out to be like the same as doing it through you know, um, DHL or whatever. Uh, and it's going to take way longer to ship. So, um, it's only if you're like ordering something very, very, like if you were ordering like a mechanical pencil from Japan, it's probably still Mm -hmm. cheaper through post, but most things it's going to be cheaper. When I want uh, VTuber merch and models that are out of print and vinyls from the eighties, it's outrageous. I can't handle it. Yeah. You just like have to go through the, you know, FedEx or whatever. Yes. So. Which is great, I guess. It gets here way faster, but I'm paying through the nose. Yeah. Um, also, it just seems weird to do it that way, because then you're just you're still not getting the taxes, but then also you're not getting it in your postal service. I guess it was like maybe to alleviate stuff on the postal service. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, it does suck. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know if you have any other bits. You always complain when the non-homophobia zone is too short. I'm not listening to this. I don't fucking care. This podcast could be 35 minutes. <laughs> I see how it is. When, when I'm listening to it at work, I want it to be three goddamn hours. When I'm here <laughs> recording it, I don't care. Okay. Well, do you want to just get to the podcast then, I guess? I guess. Do you always do it out of order? Is this like normal? Yeah, that you no. Do the- it, I mean, so part of the... We like had some moments where the non-homophobia zone sort of came about of we were chatting before we recorded. Um... But, like, part of this is based on, at the very beginning, we were watching the movie and then going in to record. So we were already talking. We were talking, like, before we hit record. So we were just, like, in the middle of conversations anyways, and then we'd start the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that Autumn lives here in Chicago, and we'll, like, have dinner and do, you know, my toddler's bedtime and then come in here. We're also, like, talking 
and we'll just be talking and then one of us will just hit record in the middle of we'll realize that whatever conversation we're having is like probably entertaining enough to just be non-homophobia zone um we'll hit record um and then it gets to let's start the podcast so this is the order always and i didn't know what throwing you into this order was going to be but this is the order <laughs> that's fine i i just d- didn't know i assumed yeah. it was the other i assumed it was um as someone who hates editing, why would you ever record out of order? Then you're going to release it. Um, that's just more work. The other thing is that I get on the habit of dragging stuff from the front to the back doing ghost divers because we always oh, okay. do the clap. And then we'd sort of be talking around that anyway. So there's oh, yeah, also you know like clap. a, this yeah, there's also like clap. a warm up to, um, you know, to doing ghost divers as well. So it's just, Hey, uh, did you ever thing. figure out what that, uh, that, psychopomp uh anime was that you were talking about on ghost divers yeah death parade yeah what okay yeah i don't i don't know if uh anyone ever told you what it was um i think it's hibani renmei pretty sure it's hibani renmei no it's death parade i'm i'm positive it was death parade (laughs) maybe someone will be able to write in let us know what it was okay (laughs) (laughs) i still don't know who told me about death parade but i'm positive it was death parade um, I'm trying to think of people I know who have like recommended Death Parade to me, and I think like I don't. I, I someone did, and I don't know if it was Jen or Kim. One of those did at some point, a long time ago. Now I've not watched Death Parade. Um, yeah, I watched Psychopaths. I'm excited for you to talk about Psychopaths. It was the amount yeah. of things you just didn't know about Psychopaths is exciting. You're like far ahead. You like record in advance. You've already seen episodes of Psychopaths. Yeah, I I have now watched eight episodes of Psychopaths. Okay. So, um, which normally when we do those intros, we've already watched the ones for, cause we'll do the intro in the first episode back to back. Um, this time we didn't. And, uh, it does mean that the first discussion episode for the first eight episodes came out to four hours, which is just a lot. Oh no. <laughs> so what, what do you do? What are you, what are you doing? Why, why, why have you been, why are you like this? <laughs> the thing is. Everyone's got their like podcast like equilibrium. It's like their, you yeah. know, the resting metabolic rate of podcasts. And mine's like an hour. And yours is like three hours. And I don't understand how you do that as someone who I generally think is like busy and tired all the time. And yeah. uh I would describe you as having like a terse conversational style, not a negative, but when you put you in front of the mic, you just go for fucking ever. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. Okay. Um I I do like just being in front of the mic. That's, yeah. Yeah. Um I don't entirely know why it's like this, but yeah, I can go long on a podcast. I just have I know this about myself. Yeah. Um There there's a part of me that's like I I wouldn't want to have done it with C Destiny, but also like you you put both Austin and I on a mic. <laughs> Oh, I, yes. The version where Austin showed up, we would not have gotten in under like around two hours. It would have been at yeah. least three. It would have um, been three and it would be like, why? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the reason why is we would have talked about Berserk, but I don't think that actually would have pushed it that far. Yeah. It but still would have added some. Would have added some. Uh, we're, we're, I mean, I'm saying we're free from seed and I'm considering going to the theater to watch the movie when it comes out. That, that movie's not real yet. You don't even know when that's going to be. That could be three years from now. Yeah. I'm still thinking about it. 
I mean, I'm excited to see what they do with the world of seed. But before that happens, I have another seed movie to watch in like two months. So it's like hard to even care because I have seed ahead of me before I get the seed for dessert. Yeah. Um, truly the biggest thing for me wanting to go to the theater. One, I think the theater is going to give me the best shot at uh, appreciating anything about it. Just like having it as big and loud as possible. Um not that I'm expecting to really enjoy it that much, but I still feel like there's just something about being in a theater that might like add to the experience that just sitting and like watching it on my laptop or my TV will not. Um, the world, the world in which I didn't go to fucking uh, Brawly or Super Dragon Ball Super Superhero or F ninety one or Star Wars Counterattack or Hathaway, but do show up to see the fucking Seed movie being a a, possi- a real possibility in my life makes me con- <laughs> wonder what I've done with myself as a person. Like I'm repenting yeah. right now. But the other reason why I'm contemplating it is I want to see the audience that shows up to a Seed movie. Oh no, you don't. I just like I I kind of know those people, but just to like have a moment where I I am like those surrounded by those people, getting their reactions, even if they're not mine. There's like there's a still, non-zero chance that there's like someone with an ahagao hoodie going to that. Like you know you don't yeah. want to live your, your life in this scenario. Listen, I've gone to uh, small Midwestern anime cons. Uh, see Destiny movie. I mean, there still might be like a guy on a a leash being walked around by a, a girl or whatever, but like I've seen that countless. Times. Are you are you saying the see Destiny movie is indistinguishable from a Rocky Horror Picture Show midnight showing? No, I'm saying it's indistinguishable <laughs> from uh, uh, like rural Midwestern anime convention. I that is also indistinguishable from a Rocky Horror Picture <laughs> Show midnight showing. <laughs> Um, I think the difference is that the Rocky Horror Picture Show people have like a modicum more taste. Hmm. <laughs> I think there's like a, I think there's an oscillation wave of how true that is that is like going through time. Um, uh, like the, <laughs> a time warp, you might say. But no, just in like, <laughs> I think that Rocky Horror exists in a space where it, it goes through phases where it's like kind of genuinely cool and then it gets a little overexposed and kitsch and then everyone's like oh this thing sucks actually and then it, get, it gets kind of forgotten for a little bit and then other people pick it up and go this thing's really cool and there's some people just live the life they just love rocky horror and i, I like rocky horror just fine i'm not casting too many dispersions but i do think that culturally there is a sort of sine wave of coolness to it as an object because i think that's just true of all cult properties that are that remain yeah. truly like that um that they just get overexposed a little and then it has to come down a little. The kingdom united must divide, kingdom divided must unite. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, I, my, I still my, think uh, averaging together, Rocky Horror yeah. people, slightly, not like a lot, but like a little bit more taste. That's fair. I Yeah, I guess I agree. My thing is, uh, so I had an old, I've talked about this on Reptile Screenings, I had an old big one screen like middle century theater in Omaha. Um, this now since been converted into like a art house theater. Or whatever. But they used to do midnight showings of cool stuff. And I would go all the time. And it started with, they would show Rocky horror once a year and then they'd show Rocky horror like twice a year. And then they were showing Rocky horror like once a month. And I was like, you're, what are you fucking doing? I, I get it. It gets, it gets the fucking college crowd butts in the seats the way that like the fucking conformist is not doing. But uh, I think it sucks. <laughs> 
Yeah. This was this is this is 15 years ago now at this point, right? Like this is in my mid early mid 20s. Um but I just have always had a weird grudge about like the culture of people who do Rocky Horror even though I, I was listening to Rocky Horror like last week. I love Rocky Horror. Yeah. But there is a there is a certain barometer sometimes when like a uh art theater is like increasingly going to Rocky Horror where you're like, yes. "Oh, the the ticket sales must not be doing too hot." You yeah, know, right. It's coming due. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it did. It closed down and then it got re- renovated and I haven't even been to it since it reopened. Um, that was even way before COVID. I just wasn't going to go to the fucking overexpensive art house theater to watch uh, bad indie films with the rich people who drink too much wine and are rude at the theater. Yeah. Well, <laughs> do, do you want to get into the podcast? I guess. Uh, you can keep going. No, no, no. We can go. We can go. We made it, we made it 21 minutes. 